Yes. Oh, come, Lord. We know you've been here, but come. Because we can worship you and we can read your scriptures and talk to each other. And you're the creator of all things. Come. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the obedient son and walking out the whole plan that our father had come up with. And you are worthy of honor and the, being at the right hand of the father. You, you're worthy of that. Holy Spirit, we ask you that you surround us meeting together quiet all the stuff from being in downtown nearby and let this let there be an open heaven this morning with you meet meet each one of us where we are what where each of us need need something and would you speak between us you said wherever two or more gathered in your name you're here we ask you that you would communicate by your Holy Spirit, to back and forth among us as a body. In Jesus' name, amen. Jennifer sent me a, uh, a link to Jordan Peterson yesterday, and it was a 30-minute talk at some place that he was talking, and uh, I'll have to put up some places about him. Uh, wow, it, it was powerful. And it was encouraging, despite the fact that his vocabulary is so vast and his thoughts were so big in the sense that I don't know how someone can talk that fast. And I had to, uh, I'll tell you, but, you know, if, if, you, if you see him or someone that's his level of intellect, it's perfectly fine to thank goodness to stop it every five minutes or every three minutes and even back up and go wait a minute I can tell that was a profound thought I can't quite reach around that one and then I would kind of and he was using like Jacob's ladder as a as a symbolic thing of like of growing spiritually in things that affect culture and uh it was a uh, I'm gonna have to go back and play it in the background a couple more times I think to to get a hold of the things he was saying. But, but after it was over, the encouragement was that God has got voices that are rising up across the earth and they are truly teachers or prophetic voice. I mean, there are, the Holy Spirit is speaking. And um, I had some things going on in my personal life the last couple of weeks. I had to do a little surgery Thursday and things. And I had to, I kept having anxiety for about two weeks. Just, just, I would get up and just have anxiety all day. And I thought it was the, I, I'm, my personality is that I get focused on stuff. Like I have all this trauma from my childhood going to the dentist. So when I go to the dentist, it's just not like you're going to the dentist. It's like having to get control of myself to go to the dentist. Like, and I'll tell the hygienist, I'll go, I know you probably have had some like me. And she says, oh yeah, I have some. You're actually, Jim, you're actually quite good. You're not a big baby like a lot of them are. I said, well, thanks for saying that. <laughs> she was real encouraging about it. I said, well, I just want you to know that I sometimes freak out and because of my past, and even though my mind says, this is silly, uh, some other part of me is like, it's the five-year-old going, 
and I could go into all this, but there used to be a building here in town that they've torn down called the Nugent Building. The Nugent Building was a couple of streets over, and it was seven stories tall. And my childhood dentist that my mother got me involved with was on the sixth floor. Now, you've got to be a, a five-year-old, get on an elevator. And this was a time when there was a, a person that sat in the elevator with white gloves on and punched the buttons for you. They wouldn't even let you touch the elevator button. So this building had, I don't know why I'm telling you all this, just, just telling you something. This building had wonderful, later in life, that when I was a little better off about how being in that building, it's, it, it was so covered in gorgeous marble on the inside. Just the floors had marble in the lobbies and, the, and all around. And when you get off on the floor, but riding the elevator to the sixth floor, and these two brothers were dentists in the same office. It's no way to explain the dread of a five-year-old and then a six-year-old going to the dentist and going to see him. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, <laughs> so despite that I'm older, and going places, sometimes I have to get control. So I thought that it was like, okay, it's that, and, and I got this little bit of back surgery and a little cyst that I need to, that's decided to get infected. And I thought it was that, but after those events were over, and then I had a little bit of anxiety still, I thought, well, it's the after effect of, of having these two events two days in a row, kind of. And then I started, and I happened to talk to different friends, and I've talked to three different friends that have said to me, you know, I just can't seem to be interested in reading Scripture. I just uh, have quit reading Scripture. Um, I talk to God, but I, I just, uh, you know, and, then, and, and they, they would say that was three Christians. And then as I, as I would tune in to little news cycles, parts of the news, I kind of want to know what's going on in Israel. I want to know what's going on with our people, you know, our military in the Red Sea and all this stuff with drones and things and that's just parts of the world. And as you would hear people um, be interviewed, anxiety would come up in their talking. And I thought, you know, I'm not so sure that I'm not spiritually tapping into across the planet that there is a lot of anxiety at this point in time. Um, so I can't prove that, but uh, I, <laughs> there's a, I'll just give you another little tidbit. Like there is a, a group of people in the Midwest who we have a, a missile silo that it was abandoned. Our military didn't want to use it anymore. And they bought the pro able to get the property, and they have made, I don't know how many people are involved in this and how much it costs, but they have built them underground apartments in this missile silo in the Midwest in the event that there is some sort of worldwide World War III kind of nuclear stuff. They've got their own underground bunker that was a that used to i guess had an icbm in it or something a long time ago so i go wow i just need to stay away from the news i guess um 
Let's look at chapter 17. This is what I was going to do last week, and then I uh, I didn't, and we to be on the, on air. I just did. We talked a few minutes about uh, a psalm that I had read, and then we then we turned it off, and we had group discussion, which was really fun of everybody talking about different things. We were talking about word curses and uh, the effects of them, and you know, different. That that was really good. So I'm going to kind of go through this. To me, the the there's a few real interesting parts here that uh, that we might end up discussing, but we'll leave we'll leave all this on today. So um, Paul and his team is they have been trying they. It's always hard when we. How can I reduce this? Paul is a very interesting person in the sense that he's brilliant. He's been trained by the best of rabbis when he was younger. He is a Roman citizen, which is a rare thing for a Jewish person to be. So he's an intellect. He's he's rabbinically trained by by the best, one of some of the most famous rabbis at that period of time. He's a Roman citizen, so his, his connections of his family undoubtedly is something else because not everybody, you know, you, you, you were either born into the Roman thing, Brooke, you can correct me if I need, like you would be born into the Roman thing, or you could buy citizenship if you had the money. That's kind of the gist of it. Or serve in the army if you were a barbarian and get citizenship. Yeah. After, after you could, yeah, serve, Okay. And so you could get that. So, so here God has, in his wisdom, has picked Paul. And uh, as Saul, you know, he's, he's set on, he's very, he's a Jewish guy. He does not like this, the people from the way, this following this Jesus, you know. And so he, they, he started persecuting people, you know. They've thrown their coats down at his feet when, when Stephen is, is uh, stoned. He's he's gotten letters from from uh, the high priest and stuff, permission to go and persecute. You know, he's, he's going to go out of town and persecute people, and uh, carry some with him. And then Jesus encounters him on the road to Damascus, and pretty much Paul says, "Who who art thou?" <laughs> he said, "I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting." In effect, knock it off. But now you're going to work for me. Of course, you know the rest of the story. He's blind for a few days; he can't see, and God sends Ananias to him, you know, and all that. And so, so now time has gone on, and ministry is spreading, and God is God is direct. Ministry is going off in different direction across around the Mediterranean area. You know, it's going down into to Ethiopia, and and, uh, and it's going northwards, and you know, kind of. Eventually, we'll have the East, Eastern Orthodox Church, and the church is, it, Paul's teams are moving, I don't know, well, we don't, we don't, they were trying to go north, and the Spirit just says, nope, you can't go north. They, they try a couple of different ways to go north, and then it says, one time it's the Holy Spirit says you can't go, and the next one time it's, it mentions the Spirit of Jesus says you can't go. So, so, but God had, then, then we got this, 
dream that comes to Paul that, uh, is it, uh, which city was he in? The one who says, come over here, Macedonia? Yeah, in the area of Macedonia. And so he, he sees a guy and he's standing in Macedonia and says, we need help. Come over us, toward us. Now, when you look at the map, that's kind of, that's going westward, you know, and, and it's heading toward the Roman Empire, uh, you know, like Rome. It's heading that way. And so they, their team uh, d goes over that way, and, and they break up into two teams. He and Barnabas do uh, in 16 because they got in a disagreement over John Mark, you know, one of them wanted to take him with him, one didn't. And so Paul gets with, uh, uh, who does he get with? Paul, Silas, yeah, he and Silas, and so they're, they're working, they're working that way. Uh, they're working toward, uh, they're going to end up in, in Athens. They're going to get, in, uh, you know, real, and Paul had certain patterns of things, so I may hit highlights here. So one of them was, look at chapter 17, verse 2, according to Paul's custom, um, he goes to a Jewish synagogue for three Sabbaths, and reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now, he reasons with people because the dadgum guy is like this Peterson guy. I mean, just like, I can just hear they're like, yeah, these guys, I can't imagine a conversation between these two. Like, Paul is, Paul is intellectual. He, he is an intellectual that's been knocked off of his horse by Jesus. So you've got an intellectual that's had an experience. That's a, that's a, fascinating combination and it gives him I don't know what his natural drive would was before just when he was just being Saul but I suspect he had a lot of drive just as a Jewish guy persecuting Christians he was already he was already had drive and so now he's God's just like twisted that drive to 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 send him to to do evangelism to go out and and to tell them about this Jesus so it said, uh, he did that for three, three Sabbaths, uh, verse 3, explaining and giving evidence that, that Christ had to suffer, rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, is the Messiah. If you're a Jewish person, they'd say Messiah, or the, in Greek, the Christ, you're the Savior. This is, he's, he's what everybody's talked about. Down through history, through all the prophetic words that have been given that we've collected in Scripture, you know, from the Jewish people about uh, there is one coming. Some, well, he's the one. He's, he's come. Okay, so he, he's real good speaking. Verse 4, so some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. So important people people that had money, people had influence, uh, and you got some and you got some Jewish people there from the synagogue. So now you, you got people that are following God, even though they're not Jewish, and you got people that are Jewish following God, and, and so kind of a little group kind of forms. Verse 5, but the Jews, <laughs> becoming jealous and taking along some of the wicked men from the marketplace, they undoubtedly knew how to like I can't imagine when they say that, like, well, how did they know who was wicked? They undoubtedly were, they, they, they knew their way around. Like, hey, we could, we could take some people, offer them a little bit of money, 
they'll do anything. They'll stir, they know how to stir up people. They know how to get something going. So they, they, they take them, they, they formed a mob. I went, well, how many did you have to have to have a mob? But undoubtedly, it's, a, it's, a, it's not two or three. It's a big enough group that you got something going on. And it says, and it set the city in an uproar. So these, you got to give it to them. They're really good at getting people stirred up. I think about stuff going on lately in big cities in America. You know, it's like, how many do you have to have to get something going? Well, you got to have more than one or two. I mean, even if you had a banner made up, you know, it makes gets on there. So, so then they, they start attacking the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. They think, undoubtedly, they're, they think Jason is part of the ringleader with part of this stuff that's going on. Verse 6, and when they didn't find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before, you see, undoubtedly, they're believers, Luke's saying here, before the city authorities shouting, these men who have upset the world, have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they are all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Caesar, they're going to pull that thing like, uh, we may be Jewish, but you know, we know how to go. Ooh, we're loyal to the, we're loyal to the Caesar, to the Rome. Uh, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Verse 8, they stirred up the crowd, and the city, the city authorities heard these things. Like and we, you know, the one thing is we want Pax Roman. We 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 want there to Rome let us kind of self-rule, sort of, as long as we pay our taxes and stuff. But we can't stir up stuff because the Roman local authorities will get wind of it, and this won't go well for us. So, so they uh, verse nine. So, so when they had received. Um, uh, a bond or a pledge from Jason. Uh, you had to put some money out there. Uh, and the others, they released them. And the brethren immediately, <laughs> they're pretty smart, they sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, to another town. It's like, let's just get them out of the, let's just get them away from here. You know, this, this guy, this didn't go very well. Okay, so they moved down the road and they went into the synagogue of the Jews, verse 11. Now, now, when we get to this town, you notice you've got, you got a different mindset. It said that there were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So when you and I do evangelism, whether it's just accidental or it's planned, knowing that what goes on with somebody that you talk to and it may not go real well, it could be different the next person you talk to. Then, you know, you meet somebody in another town or in the same, or, or across town here somewhere, and simply because it didn't go well with some people and made fun of your Christianity or something, the next ones might be, God may have them ready to be connected. So, so they had eagerness in verse 11, and they examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So when Paul used his, uh, his apologetics, his defense for Christianity explaining this, he, uh, they, were not only, they didn't just openly do it, they checked it out. They were checking out stuff in scripture to see, do, do, do find out for ourselves. Verse 12 Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. Same kind of thing, again, in this city. is like, there's something going on. As, as God is, you know, the, sent the guy, 
of the, uh, the night vision that Paul's had, like come this way, and as they're working these different cities, they, they're running into Greeks that are open to a relationship with God. Uh, and in fact, you got more Greeks open than you do Jewish people. You got some Jewish people that are open, but you also got a bunch of Jewish people that don't like you and are just out to like stir up trouble. So this is the kind of the pattern that's forming here a little bit. So verse 13, so when the guys back in the other town found out that they'd gone to this town, what do they do? They, they send some people, they get them agitated, they're stirring up the crowds again. They got the same thing going on now down the road. Verse 14, then immediately the brethren sent Paul to, to go as far as the sea, and, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now, they've caught on to this. It's like, this is not going well. We're just, let's just get Paul out of town. This is just the best thing we can do is when the, 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 the Jewish people that do not like the people of the way of this following Jesus, uh, let's, just, let's just do something. Verse 15, now, those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens. So now he's gotten to a big city, a big Greek city that is a, a, a center of commerce and a center of, of Greek culture. Uh, so he's gotten there. And he's received in verse 15 a command from Silas and Timothy. Uh, he's told him to come, come, him, come as soon as you can get here. Okay. So they left. Verse 16. And, and Paul was, was waiting for them in Athens, and his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. Now, here's Paul's method. What's his method? He goes to the synagogue regularly, two or three times, to the Jewish people, but he also goes out and meets everyday people. Now, in 1970, I was one term, the fall of 1970, I went to Auburn. And when I was at Auburn, a guy named Josh McDowell, I don't know if Josh is even alive now, Josh McDowell came to speak to whoever in the student body that wanted to be there. And there were like a few thousand college kids in this auditorium. And Josh was about to come out with a book that he wrote. He wrote eventually three volumes, volumes and maybe more, and it was called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And Josh McDowell was a Campus Crusade staff person from Bill Bright and them in California, Airhead Springs, you know, if you've ever seen us Four Spiritual Laws, this little book that Bill Brock came out with. Well, Josh, Josh was so good at this, he was really the best at apologetics, at making a defense. That's what that means. So a defense of Christianity. So he started putting together talks that worked really well on college campuses. Like one of them, one of them was called the trilemma. The trilemma has three parts to it. He says, when, when, I probably can't do it just off the top of my head. Uh, he said that when you say that Jesus is God, you got three choices here. One is that he really is God, 
or two is that he's not God and he's a liar. He, he is a, a very good showman and saying things that he's God, but he isn't. He's just a liar. And the third thing is, is that he's crazy. He thinks he's Messiah. I'm trying to not run off. I read uh, some paragraphs that George Soros wrote. Now, the only reason that Soros is interesting is that one of his children, his daughter, lives across the street from our daughter-in-law in New York City. She has two apartment buildings over there and, and security team on the top floor. And You wouldn't know this unless you know from finding out stuff from the neighborhood. Okay, so, and like, I, I just thought, what is Soros just trying to spend, he's, he's a billionaire and he, he spends money on trying to, to cause our culture to come apart. Well, one of his premises I found out was that he thinks he's a Messiah. He really thinks, he's thought this since he's been a child, go, well, that's interesting. So, so the only reason I did, said that was because Josh, the Charlemma, you know, it's like you might run into somebody that thinks they're a Messiah, that you do run into people like this every so often that get a following uh, of people. There's probably some right today. You know, you also get crazy people that want you to drink Kool-Aid. You know, a few years ago, that didn't go well because it was poison Kool-Aid. You know, it's not funny, but it's, you think, how in the world did they get to that point? But you got a really good orator that's really good at convicting people of stuff, convincing them stuff goes on. How much coffee have I had today? Not, not a whole lot, but let's... Uh, okay, so... Uh, can I say one more thing that has nothing to do with this? Okay, have you, have you ever heard of Leonard Ravenhill? Leonard Ravenhill, I, somewhere I've got tapes around here, and, and Ravenhill is one of the kind of people that when, you'd listen, when I'd listen to him, five minutes into the cassette, I would come under conviction going, I'm not really a Christian. Ravenhill lived down the road from Keith Green in Lindale, Texas, and Keith was very good friends with Leonard, and uh, it was, some of that interaction helped to give uh, Keith some of his, the, developed some of his theological energy at times. You know, he became Christian in California and at a, at a house group that was run by, well, I shouldn't say these things and get myself out there, a vineyard guy that started the, you know, some of the vineyard stuff, not John Wimber, but somebody else. Um, anyway, Keith became a Christian, and then they ended up moving their ministry to Lindell, Texas, and second chapter of Acts. Well, there were, there were four or five ministries that were in Lindell, and, and Leonard Ravenhill lived down the street. Well, Ravenhill said in one of his books, in uh, Why Revival Terries, this is from 2004, he makes a statement, and I'm not sure that he's the first one that said it, but I'll just give him credit because it's written up there. He said... A man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. 
A man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Yeah. If you and I haven't had an encounter with God, no matter how logical, the other person may be winning the argument as we argue with them on the surface of the moment. But after they go away, I had a guy out there when I was working on the ladder a few weeks ago. He has, there are some unusual people in Gadsden. I couldn't even go into all the, I mentioned it to, to Clay, and Clay knew of the, the theological position, this odd thing. He rattled it back to me and said, yes, that's what that, this guy talking to me on the ladder. So this guy talked at me for a while, and I came down and stood there, and he was telling me about all these things, about where God came from, and, and I had a, a bunch of stuff to do with Egypt and different things. And, and, uh, and I, I said, well, I'm going to go back up and paint now. So I went back up and painted. He came back down the street later when I was on the ladder, and he yelled at me, hey, just wanted to tell you, you're spiritually going down the wrong road. You need to come over and East Gadsden with me and I can help. I said, thanks. Now, I've not seen him since that day, but I haven't been out there on the ladder again. So, uh, our little town has some interesting people in it also. But no matter what his argument was out there, I've had a, I have experiential knowledge of God also. And that helps sometimes when you, you and I need something. So, and then there's this, uh, you know, that person like Josh McDowell that could, that could come up with logical thing, reasons of following Jesus. So, so I naturally got his book and read all of his stuff. And being a school teacher, I drew on that every so often. Uh, in the art room because we could just talk about anything and it's not like I was preaching on Jesus we just people would start spiritual talks and uh, we would just have discussion all around the room about stuff and people would talk from their point of view no I don't believe God's alive and real I, or or, uh, or yeah I believe there's a God but I, I, I whatever I think he's an alien he came through, he populated earth, he went on his way, he's been gone a long time. There's a lot of things, and this was years ago in Glencoe. So the, I don't know where young people are nowadays and all of their, there's always evolving stuff going on in culture. Um, so that was, the, he was reasoning uh, in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, verse 17, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of them were Epicurean and some were Stoic philosophers. Now, an Epicurean Greek philosophy is uh, they're de devoted to the pursuit of sensual pleasure. That's their thing is like, the height of the human existence is sensual pleasure. So, so in, the, in this Greek culture, this was one group of thinkers. And another group thought that the Stoic ones, that philosophers, theirs was they believed that the practice of virtue is enough to achieve a well-lived life. So you had one that was sensual 
sensual things was the peak of existence. And then you had some other Greeks that said, no, we think that when you seek, um, when you practice virtuous living, that that's enough to achieve a well-lived life. So, so here we have Paul now talking to at least two different mindsets of Greeks there. And so um, they're conversing with him in verse 18. And some were saying, well, what does this idle babbler, they're making fun of him, this idle babbler wish to say? And others says, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So they take him to Mars Hill, the, uh, or in, uh, in this one it, it would say that Mars Hill is all, also called the Hill of Ares of, of Mars, which is the god of war. And this is, a, this is a big stone that is in Athens, and it sticks out, kind of out in the air. And this was the, their meeting place. Their, their favorite place to go and talk philosophy. Undoubtedly, they, the, these families made money maybe in shipping and different things and whatever there. But uh, <laughs> so, they, so they take him and they say, may we know what this new teaching is that you're proclaiming. For you're bringing some strange things to our ears, verse 20. So we want to know what these things were. Now, now the parenthesis says uh, in Athens, and the strangers visiting there, they were used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So they all kind of stand around, and this is their thing in life is, let's go talk. Let's go see, let's go hear the latest thing. Let's hear whatever's, whatever's uh, being talked about. So verse 22, Paul stands in the midst there among them, uh, and he says, Men of Athens, I observe that you're very religious in all aspects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar to, with the inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Now, this is a great few verses of evangelism in the form of a... Of a, a, a of a spiritual apologist talking. This, this is a great set right here. If you want something to draw on sometime when you're talking to uh, uh, someone that needs, that's intellectual kind of, and logical, and they want to, something to talk about, this is, this is really good. So he, he starts and he says, the God who made, verse 24, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Talking about he is the creator God. Okay, verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each of us. For in him we live, move, and exist. As even some of your own poets have said, 
for we also are his children. And being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all men everywhere should repent. Because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, they began to sneer at him. And others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. That was a pretty, pretty good, that's almost a Jordan Peterson kind of, kind of little thing going on there. So, some people we meet, logic is useful. And then other people, God wants them to have an experiential experience. <laughs> you know, you, you pray for them because they have something that you go, is there a thing I can pray for, whatever? I mean, I can't come up with a hypothetical thing. But, um, and there's an encounter. We've had that happen down through the years, different times. It could happen today, kind of thing. You know, you meet somebody. Uh, so, and then there can be the mixture of the two. Uh, you could use logic through Scripture or, or use passages of Scripture saying, well, what about this? This was said a thousand years before Jesus was born. Perfectly describes him. You know, you can find things in the, in the Old Testament, the prophets, about him. So you can have experience, you can have prophetic or Christian logic or testimony kind of things, other people's testimonies. God uses whatever he wants to use in the moment. 